Friends, one of the things about our world is that messages about what to believe and how to think and what is right and good and just and true are coming at us all the time. Here here is how you should think about politics, economics, education, race, sexuality, gender. This is how you should vote. This is how you should parent. This is how you should spend. This is how you should spend some more. This is how you should think and talk about God. This is how, who you should value. This is where you should go. This is how you should live. The messages are flowing at us at a very constant rate in this culture. And the reality, for me at least, is this. They're often quite convincing. Advertisers are good at their job, aren't they? They convince me quite often. And yet, they're not always true. The world we live in is a mixture of facts and exaggeration, truth and partial truth, what's right and what's mostly right, what's wrong and what's not completely wrong. It's often all mixed together. And so for us, as followers of Jesus, in an age of of biased truth and faulty facts and misguided information, how do we believe the right things? How do we think the right things? How do we say the right? How do we act in ways that line up with the mind and heart of God? That's what this series is all about. We're talking about Jesus cares. What does Jesus care most about? What is Jesus' heart for in this world? What's his perception of truth? And what we need, perhaps more than anything else, I would argue, to faithfully follow Jesus in this world is discernment. We are people, I would say, who are desperately in need of discernment. The Greek New Testament word is Dokimazo, dokimazo, it means to test something in order to reveal its genuineness. It means understanding when comprehension is obscure. It's the ability to determine what is right and good and just and true when things are unclear to everyone else. Dokimazo is rooted in the biblical concept of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2 says it this way. If you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. You see, to be a wise person in the scriptures is to be a discerning person. It's as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, discern everything carefully, holding fast to that which is good, abstaining from every form of evil. This is our calling, friends, as Jesus followers, to be people of discernment. And yet, I'm talking about it today because I believe it's one of the biggest problems in the church, the absence of discernment. Our inability to see through the lies and deceptions of the enemy. Our willingness to adopt partial truths and semi-biblical positions for personal gain and convenience. Our temptation, as I said in week one of this series, to make little issues big issues and big issues peripheral. 
Friends, Jesus talks about this. He talks about our desperate need for discernment. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is approached by some Pharisees and some Sadducees. These were the religious liberals and the religious conservatives of Jesus' day. They were bitter enemies. They hated one another. They did nothing together. And yet here in this moment, they team up in order to test Jesus, to ask him for a sign. They said, give us a sign. Tell us who you are. And and what they're doing is they're trying to determine how big of a threat Jesus is to their political agendas. And listen to Jesus' answer. He replied, "When, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather. For the sky is red, and in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret, that's the word discern, you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Jesus is confronting them here. He's challenging them. He's saying, you're more discerning about the weather than you are about what it means to follow God in your culture. You've lost touch with God's heart and God's priorities. And the message in that passage is that you've allowed your own political agendas to blind you from God's agenda. Jesus essentially says to them, you've been watching too much Fox News or reading too much of the New York Times, and so your discernment of a godly perspective has been skewed and it's off. Friends, the title of my message today, if you haven't guessed it already, is Jesus Cares About Discernment in a World of Deception and Confusion. Jesus cares about discernment in a world of deception and confusion. He knows that in this world, his followers will need discernment. In fact, if you think about the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is perhaps the greatest sermon preached. It's actually a series of a bunch of little messages that Jesus offers. It's recorded for us in three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus, in this larger sermon, is talking about what it looks like to live as part of the kingdom of God. What it it means to live with God as king of your life in this world. If God is king in your life, then here's what will happen. And Jesus talks about all sorts of stuff in this sermon. He talks about worry. He says, worry won't have its grips in you anymore if God is king of your life. God is king of your life. He says, you can love your enemies. You can do conflict differently. You can understand your sexuality correctly. He says, you you won't wrestle with the, the confines of judgment anymore. You will understand money and how you can generously open up your resources. Jesus talks about all these amazing things. But then right at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also says this. He says, watch out for false prophets. By the way, prophets in the Bible are people who speak for God. Specifically, prophets tend to speak truths of God about how to live in a specific time and place. Prophets are often correcting, they're challenging, they're they're often people who say, this is how God wants us to live here and now for him. We're not doing it and we better get on it. That is what a prophet is in the scriptures. But Jesus says, watch out for False prophets, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. What they look like on the outside doesn't match 
who they are on the inside. And he's saying that if you determine to follow God and walk with him in this world, there are going to be forces that want to lead you off the path. If God is your king, people are going to try and get you to live as if he's not. They want to confuse you about what is true and right and just and good. So this morning, I want to talk about three things that combat those forces that actually create godly discernment in your life. Three things that will help you cut through the confusion and the deception of our world in order that we might be more like Jesus and make him known. That we might have the discernment that Jesus had. Here they are, first one. Surrender to the Spirit. If you want to become a godly, discerning person, you must surrender to the Spirit. And I'll let you know right off the top that the adjectives are as important as the nouns. Surrender to the Spirit. Friends, this is what Jesus tells his followers. John chapter 16, the Last Supper. He's preparing to go to the cross. He's leaving his disciples. And he says, there is so much more I need to tell you. He says, there's so much more for me to say to you more than you can even now bear. Jesus is saying instructions for who to be and how to live and how to proceed and how to discern in this world. I don't have time to tell you everything you need to know. But he says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, will give us understanding and right judgment and perception and perspective and discernment that we can never gain on our own. Godly discernment is impossible without godly power. Godly discernment is impossible without godly power. Power. There is no conjuring this up in your own strength. I, I want to suggest to you this morning, friends, that the number one reason, this is just my opinion, by the way. We've moved from scripture to my opinion. The number one reason Jesus' followers in our world lack discernment is a failure to live in a connected and reliant relationship with the Holy Spirit. A couple weeks ago, I was out of town on vacation um, I was out of town for a few days just by myself. Um, did a little family thing with a few of my cousins. And while I was gone, I got a text from my wife. My wife, who I love, who's beautiful. It's Mother's Day. I have nothing bad to say about her today. And yet this text said, Honey, a few of the neighbors have taken down some trees, and they're wondering if we would like some wood. And so I was busy having fun on vacation, not thinking about wood or work or other things. And so I just responded, sure, that sounds good. Big mistake. (laughs) As it turns out, there were six trees, six full trees of wood. And the gentleman, I say gentleman nicely and graciously, who cut them down just left giant tree rounds, six trees worth laying in my driveway. So I come home from vacation to find like six cords of tree rounds of wood just in my driveway, and I think to myself, what am I going to do now? (laughs) The tree-splitting, wood-splitting tools I have at my disposal consist of a small hatchet. Not an axe. (laughs) Not an axe. I don't own an axe. I just have a small hatchet, and so suddenly I'm panicked. What am I going to do with all this wood? It'll be years before my driveway's clear. So in a panic, I texted a buddy and said, any ideas on what to do with this? And I sent a picture, and he just wrote back, I'll be over in a bit. (laughs) 
And I think it was the next day that he came over towing behind his truck this giant industrial-sized wood splitter. And he dropped it off at my house. And he was like, hey, here you go. I think you're going to need this. And friends, it was a lifesaver. But, but imagine, imagine if I had said to my friend, thank you so, so much for this amazing, powerful gift. Thanks for leaving it here. And then I had just set it aside and gone to work on that wood pile with my little hatchet, just hacking away at it for days and weeks and months and years of my life, right? Friends, that's what, what so many of us do as Christ followers with the gift of the Holy Spirit. God offers us this amazing, powerful gift, but instead of accepting it and then using it, we set it aside and then just begin to hack away at our lives on our own. Gordon Fee says it this way, if the church is going to be effective in our world, we need to stop paying mere lip service to the Spirit and recapture the Spirit as the experienced, empowering return of God's own personal presence in and among us who enables us to live as a radically redeemed people in the present world while we await the return of Christ. And friends, Jesus doesn't just tell us this. He models it for us. He models dependence on and reliance on the spirit you know that historically there have been two false ideas or heresies two main heresies about jesus the most prominent one in our world today is that jesus wasn't really god that's heresy number one it's popular in our world jesus wasn't really god he may have been a great man he was certainly a phenomenal teacher he was someone who inspired people to live better lives but that's all he was an extremely gifted and inspired human heresy number one lots of people in our world think that but heresy number two was actually the opposite and it was the heresy that was most popular in the early years of christianity in the first few centuries, the common heresy wasn't that Jesus was a human, but that Jesus wasn't really human. And the idea that circulated was simply that for a person to be this amazing and do the sorts of things that Jesus did, they couldn't possibly be human. They had to be God. This heresy actually has a name. It's called docetism. It's from the Greek word Dokeho, which means to seem, to seem. And the idea is that even though Jesus seemed human, seemed like a man, it was actually just a disguise. He was actually just God pretending to be human. Let me give you an example of docetism in our day. Superman. Superman pretends to be human. He looks like a human but he's not a human. He's from Krypton. He's a Kryptonian. And so he has powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Sure, sure, Superman disguises himself as Clark Kent. He pretends to be one of us, but he's not really one of us. This is not the story of Jesus. He is not like Superman. The Bible says he was fully God, but he was also fully human. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 2. He made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Paul is saying here that Jesus took on our humanness. 
He took on our human limitations. That when Jesus came to earth, he set aside all of his God powers. He's still God, but he doesn't have the God powers here and now because he is a human with our limitations. So now, if you're thinking about this, the next logical question is, well, if Jesus set aside all of his God powers, well, then how did he do all that cool stuff? How did he walk on water and multiply food and heal lepers and calm storms and give sight to the blind and even raise the dead? How did Jesus do that? You see, the normal answer, the normal answer for us is Jesus could do it. Why? Because he's God, right? That's what we always say. Jesus could love those people that way because he's God. I can't do it, right? But that's not the Bible answer. The Bible says something different, actually. The Bible says Jesus did all that by the power of the Holy Spirit, He didn't do that with the God powers. He did that with the Holy Spirit powers. Jesus actually shows us what the perfect spirit-empowered life looks like. He's a vision for what a human being fully and completely empowered by the Holy Spirit can be and do. This is why our mission statement is becoming like Jesus because he is our vision. This is actually why Jesus says, when I leave, you're going to be able to do all the same stuff that I did and even more. Because if you're a Christian, the same spirit that lived in Jesus lives in you. And friends, do you, do you know what else the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to do? Discern the deceptive schemes of the devil. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus with discernment. Remember Jesus in the desert fasting 40 days, 40 nights. The devil comes to Jesus to tempt him and deceive him. But scripture tells us that all of this happened at just the moment right after Jesus' baptism. And do you remember what happened at Jesus' baptism? The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And then Matthew says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You see, Jesus is now having his first showdown with the devil as a a human being empowered fully by the Spirit of God. And the message here is that Jesus is about to rely on the Holy Spirit to discern the deceptive schemes of the devil. Friends, if, if Jesus relies on the Spirit to make it through this world, do you think that we can really make it on our own? If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, why do you think that you don't? Let me ask you, friends, are you constantly and consistently walking with the Holy Spirit in your life? Seriously, do you stop? Do you listen? Do you make space and invite the Spirit of God to speak into you? Have you grabbed the tool that God has given you, the powerful tool of the Spirit, and begin to use it in your life every day and every moment to give you discernment? Or have you set it aside so that you can just hack away at the lies and deceptions of this world by yourself? Godly discernment is impossible without godly power. That's the first thing we need to surrender the Spirit. Here's the second Study the scriptures. Again, the verb is important. Study the scriptures. You know, when Jesus comes, or, or when Satan comes to Jesus to deceive him in the wilderness, every single time Jesus refutes Satan's deception with scripture. Every single time the enemy tries to lure Jesus in, 
He says, it is written. This is what the word of God says, Satan. But friends, Jesus doesn't just use any scripture. These aren't just random verses that Jesus pulls out of nowhere and and reinterprets for his own personal convenience. In fact, all three of the scripture verses Jesus uses are from when the Israelites were in the wilderness. See, the Israelites, we just talked about this in the Moses series. If you're with us for the Moses series, the Israelites go off into the, into the wilderness for 40 years. And while they're there, they are deceived, they are tricked, they are tempted, and they fall into all sorts of trouble. So Jesus, now he goes into the wilderness to say, here's how you actually live for God in the wilderness. The Israelites couldn't do it, but I'm going to show you how by the power of the Spirit. And so what Jesus does is he quotes scripture verses from that moment. He's quoting scripture from when the Israelites were in the wilderness and God was giving them instruction on how they were to live. Friends, this passage shows us perhaps more than any other that Jesus doesn't just spout scripture. He understands scripture. He has a deep knowledge of the scripture. He knows what it means and what God's heart intention is for it. And this is so important. This is so important in our world because you'll notice that Satan uses scripture in this passage as well. You know who else is well aware of scripture? The enemy. Right in the middle of this exchange, the devil quotes the Bible. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, I wonder the tone of voice there. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Friends, that's Psalm 91 on the devil's lips. This is so deceptive because in Jesus' day, there was a a very strong belief because of this verse that when Messiah came, he would be carried through the air by angels. Everybody in Jesus' day was waiting. When Messiah comes, there's going to be all these things that happen, but one of those things was he's going to be carried through the air like angels. And so Satan is saying to Jesus, this is what society believes, and look, it's right here in the Bible. Come on, Jesus. Friends, If Satan will twist scripture to try and deceive Jesus, do you not think that people in our world won't try to use it wrongly to deceive you and me? You have to understand scripture or people will deceive you with it. Let me say it this way. Just because somebody quotes a Bible verse, that does not mean that what they are saying is true and right or just or good. People take scripture out of context all the time. And when you take the text out of context, all you're left with is a con. Don't get conned by people who twist scripture. Understand scripture enough to tell the difference, to be discerning. Discerning about who's using scripture rightly and who's using it For ill purposes, Colossians chapter 2, Paul says this, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. You see, the enemy has always been up to these tricks. 
He's been doing it for 2,000 years or more. Friends, if you want to have godly discernment, you need to regularly and fervently study the word of God. Here's how Paul says it to Timothy. By the way, Timothy was a young pastor. He was in a pretty challenging situation. He went to the city of Ephesus. He was starting a church there. This is a city with lots of worldly ideologies, with pagan religious thinking everywhere. It was a place that I would say is a lot like Portland. And Paul knew that more than perhaps anything else Timothy was going to need, he would need tremendous discernment. And so listen to what he says. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed Rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul is talking here about the discerning power Timothy will find when he has a deep understanding of the Bible. Earlier I said the number one reason Jesus' followers in our world lack discernment is failure to live in a connected and reliant relationship with the Holy Spirit. If that's true, a close second has to be our thin and trite understanding of Scripture. Paul tells Timothy to be diligent. That means to give maximum effort. Think about what you give maximum effort to in this world. It means to devote yourself. It means to go all out. What do you go all out for? What do you give everything you have for in this world? Do you give that same effort to understanding Scripture? How diligent are you in your study of God's word? How much time per day, not per week, not per month, how much time per day do you put into allowing scripture to shape your mind and heart and soul? I read a George Barna statistic this week that said for every one hour of scripture reading or study that American Christians do, there's 50 hours of media intake. One hour to 50 hours. I wonder who's going to win that battle. How much time per day do you put into allowing scripture to shape your mind and heart and soul? Okay, last one. Surrender to to the Spirit, study the scriptures, and finally, seek godly counsel. Friends, we have to notice that the only time Satan directly approaches Jesus in an effort to try and, and deceive him and tempt him is when he is alone. He's been in the desert by himself for 40 days, 40 nights. He's vulnerable, hungry, weak, isolated, physically and emotionally exhausted. And by the way, friends, this is when we need Holy Spirit discernment more than ever. Because that's when Satan's coming after you. Not on a really good day. Not when you're feeling strong and prepared and you just finished your morning devotion. That's rarely when Satan attacks. How many people wrestled, by the way, this is just an example, how many people wrestled with discernment during COVID? This is when we saw discernment for people just go out the window, right? All sorts of people doing things, saying things, posting things. They normally wouldn't. Why? Because we were isolated. We were stressed. Many of us had too much time with our own thinking. Most of the input we got was not from friends or family or from the church, but from the media that we were listening to, and Satan had a field day. Friends, Scripture pounds this point into us over and over and over again. 
God's people need each other. If you want to be discerning, have discerning relationships. Proverbs chapter 11, where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. That's just wisdom. Proverbs 12, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but, the, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 15, without consolation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. You see, discerning relationships give us discernment. This is why in Acts chapter 15, when the early church had a huge decision to make, the decision was whether or not Gentile believers would need to now follow Jewish customs. And I know, I know, I know, that's not a real pressing issue for you, is it? You didn't wake up worried about that this morning, thinking to yourself, I wonder what I think about that. You're like, I don't know, I don't care, they probably shouldn't. Right? But this was a huge issue in the first century. This was their issue of the day. Think about some of our issues of the day that we debate and talk about and spend time thinking and praying about in the church. This was theirs. Issue number one. Will the Gentile believers need to, need to practice Jewish customs or not? And what did they do to discern God's will? In Acts chapter 15, it says, The apostles and elders met to consider this question, in verse 7, it says they had much discussion. They had much discussion. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says it this way. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. You see, there is a togetherness in discerning God's will in the church that's how God's will is discerned when we come together and we put our thoughts and thinking and perspective and prayers together. Friends, this is why Paul tells Timothy to, to surrender to the Spirit and study the Scriptures. But he also tells him, oh, and by the way, appoint some elders. In other words, try not to carry the load of discernment on your own. And so again, how about you, friends? Are you doing the work of discerning what is right and true and just and good on your own? Or are there godly counselors regularly speaking into your life, speaking into your thinking, speaking into your speaking, speaking into your decisions, speaking into your actions? And one other thing I'll point out, point out before we wrap up. Paul says to Timothy, when you do choose counselors, when you do choose elders, be discerning about who will help you with discerning. Don't just ask anybody, right? Be discerning about who will help you with discerning. Ask the Holy Spirit and Scripture who should help you with discerning. Do they have the Holy Spirit active in their lives? Are they a person of the word? Jesus says the same thing. We're going to go back to the, the passage we started with in Matthew 7. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious Wolves, they say to you, I'm speaking for God. This is how God wants you to live and think and act and be in this world. People will say that to you, but they're not speaking for God. And then listen to what he says. By their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. What comes out of their lives? Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Ask, are the people who are speaking into my life helping me with discernment and counsel? Are they people of the Spirit? Do they exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Friends, it's hard to tell if that author you're reading lives the fruit of the Spirit. It's really hard to discern if that TV preacher, although he's real convincing and probably nice looking, does he actually love his wife? Is he patient and kind to his neighbors? It's hard to tell through the TV screen, isn't it? Does that podcast host live out a godly lifestyle? Are they walking With love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, you do not know, you see. But when you're doing life together, when you're meeting regularly and you're praying together and sharing together victories and failures and joys and struggles, that's when you can really see someone's character. That's when you can discern, is this someone who can help me discern? This is why virtual church does not work. This is why the scriptures say don't forsake in gathering together. And that's not just about Sunday mornings. I think it's partly about Sunday mornings. It's also about that small group that you meet with to pray and talk and share and do life and open the Bible. Those are the people that you can discern if they should help you discern because you know them. Friends, surrender to the Spirit. There's never been a more confusing age to live in than the one we live in now. I know that's a big statement, but I think it's true. We need discernment. God's people, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You've got to to shine through the darkness and the confusion and the deception with, with truth and steadfastness and a steadiness and a confidence. We need discernment, so we must surrender to the Spirit. And we must study the scriptures. We can't just have a little bit of knowledge of the scriptures. We've got to know that we know that we know what the scriptures say and what the Bible teaches. And then we must seek godly counsel constantly. Surrender to the spirit. Study the scriptures. Seek godly counsel. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then your light will shine before men, and they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. Father, this morning, we step back and confess that we, we have work to do. I confess, Lord, that I too often just set your, your Holy Spirit aside to do life in my own strength. Help us as a people to connect with you and rely on you and walk in step with you, God, every single day and not just every day, but every moment to take advantage of your amazing presence with us. And then, Lord, give us the discipline and the desire and the passion to open your word and read it and study it constantly to seek deep understanding of what you say. And then finally, Lord, bring people into our lives, people who can help us discern godly people who also trust the Spirit and know your word so that we can test and approve what your will is, Lord, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's our prayer, that you would do that in 
and amongst us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.